This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. And we want to welcome you back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are very excited to have you guys back this week. It is a beautiful day here in Arkansas. It is what, 70 what? some odd degrees yeah, now. Yeah, I guess so. You know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about it being so cold and so much snow. And now it's, you know, in the, I think it's been in the 70s the last couple days. And it's going to stay that way. So maybe. Uh, I don't know if it'll stay that way that long, Josh. You uh, just don't know. You never, you never know here in Arkansas. It's so true. Well, I was born April 6th. And uh, it was snowing that day. Mom and Dad had to drive me from Hartford, where we lived, to Fort Smith. And Mom said that they almost went off the road a couple of times, oh, but Dad's goodness. a really good driver, so they didn't. So anyway, it can snow anytime it wants to. Oh, yeah. Well, well maybe not summer. <laughs> well, if it did, the world may be ending. But right. that was last year. Speaking of this, we're, we're getting close to, uh, we're about three quarters of a year in doing this now. Yeah, I think this is number 36. So it's... Uh, it's been a it's been a cool ride. So you got um you got your shot this last week, didn't you? Right. First how did uh how'd it go? No problem. Just a little soreness on the shoulder. Which one did you get? Pfizer. You got the Pfizer? Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and get into this this week's podcast and pairings. This week we are doing wine from the Napa Valley. And Dad, what are you gonna be doing as your wine and your snacks this week? All right, I'm doing Black Stallion Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's a 2017. And I'm doing Gorgonzola Blue Cheese, a brisket sandwich, and brownie bites. What did, about you, Josh? Well, did you make the brisket? or No, we'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. Oh, secret. Um, I am doing the Mom Napa Brut Rosé. Surprise, surprise. I'm doing another sparkling wine. Right, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How many have you done so far? Uh, About four. Four? Mm-hmm. Five, maybe? Mm-hmm. We count the Lucien Albray? Um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think maybe five. If you, I love sparkling wine. Anyway. So my pairings this week are, I have some little mozzarella pearls with some fresh cracked black pepper on it, a herb brie, and then I found a duck. So we what, get- side of the road? Yeah. What? what? Uh, I mean, it kill? is- I mean, it is, I mean, no, duck season's over. No, now. it's over. It's over. Long gone. No, just some farm-raised duck we found in our grocery store. And I roasted it whole, and I did, a, I did a new way to where I could get the skin really, really crispy. So it looks fantastic. I can't wait for you guys to see it on, the, on Instagram. I'm so excited to have duck. Awesome. Uh, but it's just duck with salt and pepper. So, so we're just going to eat the Peking skin? I mean, you totally can. <laughs> and I did actually give you a piece of just skin. I saw that, yeah. Because good. it's so crispy. In the, yeah. in the, anyway, we'll get into that later. Um, but before we go ahead and jump straight into our talking about our wines and everything, we got to talk about the blind from two weeks ago, because last week was a cocktail episode. It was a clear liquor. It tasted and smelt of cherries was kind of higher in alcohol, and I thought it was Luxardo, which is a cherry liqueur from Italy. So, Dad, reveal to us what it was. Well, I didn't know where you were getting that cherry because it's called Tim Smith's Climax Moonshine. It's moonshine. Hot distilled original recipe. It's... It, High alcohol, not that high. It's 45%. Yeah. And there's a picture of this uh, moonshiner, 
and there's a story about him. Well, you know, he Pretty was... Pretty neat if, yeah. He was one of the guys from the television show Moonshiners that went legit. That's right. And this is his, this is his moonshine. And, you know, it, it was actually pretty, you know, it was pretty good. And I think he actually uh, markets it overseas. I think really? that's part of where his uh, big, big market is because people want moonshine. Well, yeah. And they didn't come from the South like we did. <laughs> where you just, you, you know, you know where to go. Have you ever had real moonshine? Well, what do you mean by real moonshine? Like backwoods, illegal moonshine? Yes. I don't, well... I think I've had an apple pie moonshine that was made by a backwoods distiller, but I don't think I've ever had just the straight, the straight moonshine. Have you? Yes. And? Well, when we lived in Kentucky, there was a lot of things that were going on illegal around Kentucky. Um, Kentucky's um, the Burley Market State, lots of tobacco, but I think their highest uh, illegal trade was marijuana. Oh. And their other probably high illegal trade was moonshine. Yep. This is back in the days when the power plant, you could bring your guns, you could bring anything. So some guy brought some moonshine. It was smooth. Yeah, that that was really smooth too. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, you know, when we think of moonshine, we think of, you know, straight gut rot. But these guys are actually, I mean, they know they're what they're doing. They're professionals. They, they know, know what, what they're, they're doing. doing. And, you know, it's, it's uh, maybe we'll have to do, maybe we'll do it. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode on moonshine. I think Maybe. you know yeah. the story of moonshine and how it's like in the whole prohibition bootlegging thing. All uh, right. It's pretty interesting. So, but anyway, uh, so I was wrong again. <laughs> and well, I didn't really trick you, but that was sort of a trick. Well, oh, I mean, it was a sort of that was a curveball. Oh, yeah, but you it was. You didn't know I had it. No, I didn't. I forgot that Randy had given it to you. Right. All right. Well, let's get into this rose. Yeah. So Napa Valley. When you think of wine in the United States, this is what you think of. Napa Valley. Napa Valley. And there are some very, very, very expensive wines that come out of the Napa Valley. Right. Do you know any of the big names when it comes to the the super expensive? Well. You've had one here. What I was thinking of, and I've got a story when we went to Napa Valley. I remember us going to Beringer. Beringer? And mm-hmm. I was on their website, and they've got $400 bottles, $600 bottles. So what were you thinking of? Well, so there's one called Screaming Eagle, oh. which sells for a couple thousand dollars a bottle. Uh, wow. Well, maybe, maybe $1,500 a bottle in, like, restaurants. You have Opus One. Oh, Opus One, which yeah. you oh, you've yeah. had before. Yeah, um, we were lucky enough to have a friend who brought over a 1991. That's right, Opus One. And you have Inglenook, you have Bond, uh, Harlan. You know all these names. If you're if you're into wine, and like especially if you're in the mark in the industry, these names are you know we're ticking off some of the the bedpost wines that you're like, yes, I have had that, you mm-hmm. know? but. But now you made a comment about $2,000 a bottle at the restaurant. Now, for the listener's sake, when you go to the restaurant and you see that price of the bottle, you might could buy that bottle by paying one-third or maybe even one-fourth of what that bottle is at the restaurant. Definitely 
less than a half. Right. Well, and it de- just depends it, on the restaurant and, it and depends how on high end the restaurant is. It depends on the wine. So right. There's a lot of factors, but yeah, you really don't want to gauge it at the restaurant because unless that's the only place you drink wine. Well, well, right. And I mean, these wines that those wines that I was just talking about are very, very allocated. So they're they're hard to get, and that's one of the reasons they're so expensive. And we probably couldn't get them here in Arkansas. Somehow. So we can get Opus, right. Bond, and Harlan that I've seen. Screaming Eagle, I've never seen. I don't know if anybody would. If, if we do, we, we the state may get two bottles yeah. a year, <laughs> maybe. Along, like with, for the, the, along yeah. with the two Pappy bottles. Yeah, for the entire state. Like <laughs> right. This is how allocated this stuff is. And like at auction, so the Napa Valley Wine Auction is a big, big deal. Um, it's a chip fundraiser. And bottles of Screaming Eagle will sell for tens of thousands of dollars there. But anyway, so we're not up on those with any of those big bedpost wines. Uh, but this one is a great sparkling wine that's made from Napa. Mum Napa. We've talked about it before, how French champagne houses have land in California and make sparkling wine. And this is one of them. Uh, this is from the makers of Mum Champagne. They make it um, in the same traditional style as their regular champagne. This wine is their Brut Rosé. It is 80% Pinot Noir and 20% Chardonnay. And it is a beauty of a wine. Oh, it is. It really is. It's light salmon pink. Salmon, mm-hmm. yeah. The, it's got great bubble structure. We're tasting, the, as always, we're tasting our wines out of, a, out of the Riedel uh, Standard Red Restaurant glass, or their all-purpose glass. And so what are you smelling on it? Smelling some good uh, floral. Yeah, it's hard, hard to say exactly what it is. Uh, honeysuckle, uh, you know, maybe some red fruit. Yeah, I get like, yeah. I get like fresh white cherry. Like, you okay. know, when we would go up and visit Marie when she was living mm-hmm. in Seattle, those yeah. fresh Rainier, right. white Rainier cherries. Right, okay. I get kind of your honeysuckle. I also get like lime, uh, lemon. Lemon? Lemon and lime. This isn't as... Not a whole lot of lemongrass, no. No, not lemongrass, gla- but more like lemon zest. Oh, okay. This is not as brioche or as bready as... Oh, no. As I was kind of expecting, but this is, you know, this is a great, great mm-hmm. wine. Good bubble structure. Bubbles still coming up. We poured these, uh, oh, 15 minutes ago. Yeah, and this is, you know... This is of the brute style, so 12.5% alcohol. It's not really going to get you there too fast. It's been aged for 18 months. And I can't remember in California, the United States, if they have like standard times um, mm. required by law. But there's only 1.5% re- re- residual sugar. So that's why it's oh, okay. really bright, really acidic. It's mm-hmm. not going to, it's not, it doesn't taste sweet at all. Yeah. It's more tart, and I get more of that lemony And it's a quick, pucker. quick, quick finish. Yeah. For those of you chemistry people, the pH of this is 3.1. Hmm. So, Dad, is that acidic or basic? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were electrical. <laughs> I'm an electrical, You're an electrical engineer. engineer. Ask me. But no, this electrons, is... Electrons, neutrons, and morons. <laughs> No, this is a it's it's on the it's on the acidic side because we know seven is tap water, right. seven ish is tap water, and the lower the the lower the pH number, the more acidic something right. is. So Good. he's smiling over there. He got me. He got me already. I we always only, like to try and get you about been, something. We've only been going about five minutes. 
But no, it's really good. So the appellation on this is is uh, Napa County. So it's does in in the Napa Valley there are a lot of sub AVAs or American Viticultural Areas, um, kind of like the AOC areas in Europe or the DOC or the DOCGs. But this is just considered from the anywhere in the county itself. So it, it's not coming from Sonoma. It's not coming from Calistoga or anywhere else. It's coming. It's all coming from Napa fruit. And that's one of the reasons I really wanted to do mm-hmm. this one mm-hmm. because like Shandon has a house that's actually, I think it's technically in the Napa Valley, but the fruit is actually Sonoma County. Oh, okay. Which hmm. they're right there by each other. Right. Um, if you've ever been, you can honestly drive from Sonoma to Napa in what, 10 minutes? Probably. Maybe. 15. Go, depending on where you're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. They actually share an AVA. Okay. Uh, Caneros. Oh, okay. Is actually in both Sonoma and Napa. You know, Napa County starts down at the bay. And because it has that bay access and then it's between two, uh, it's between two small little mountain ranges, that cool air actually brings in a layer of fog. Mm-hmm. That settles in the valley floor up to about, I think, 2,000 feet in elevation. Okay. So what vintage is this? It's non-vintage. Okay. Yeah, just like most sparkling wines. Yeah. But this this stuff is probably coming from the more southern regions, where it's a little bit cooler since it is Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. Unlike yours, it's probably a little bit more up in the valley because it's Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's the thing about Napa is Cab. Mm. Napa cab, Napa cab, Napa cab, Napa cab, Napa cab. You hear it all the time. You just call it a Cali cab. <laughs> a Cali cab, yeah. But these, this is really good. So, what do you think of? What do you think of this so far, Dad? Oh, it's very good, very refreshing. I think you could drink this anywhere you wanted to. Anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. So, as far as the pairings, what, what, how are we going to start? How are we going to pair? You know, I think we can go in any order. I would probably start with. Where if you want a specific order, I would go with the mozzarella first, mm-hmm. and then the brie, and then onto the duck. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit about the pairings. The mozzarella are these little like fresh mozzarella pearls, and then I crack some black pepper on it, on top of it. And the the brie is actually a double cream brie that has some chives, parsley, and a little bit of garlic mixed in to give it kind of some herb, a good herbaceous flavor. Mm-hmm. That black pepper does really well with that. Yeah, and you know that was kind of you know mozzarella is kind of flat. Mm-hmm. It's got a, you know it's got a good flavor, but it's st- still kind of flat. And I didn't have really good like thick syrupy balsamic vinegar. So I was thinking, what else could kind of go with that acid? And okay. that that yeah. thing is you know heat and pepper adds a a heat. All right. So that's kind of what I was going for there. How'd it go? It went well. Some of that sweetness of the wine kind of dissipated, and the and the you know the cheese itself with that pepper was I can't say it dominated, but it was a higher level than the sweetness. Yeah, I really like that that pairing. That worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. The earthiness, yeah, the earthy spice of the pepper. You really don't think of a sparkling wine as an earthy type wine. No, but. But it's that contrasting. That's right. You have that. The wine doesn't have, like you said, doesn't have a lot of earthiness. So you, if you're going to pair with it, you can actually add that from your food. 
And, you know, I really like that. That's really good. The pepperiness mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of wakes up your tongue a little bit too. Yeah. And this is just black. Pe- it's just black pepper. It's not like a five pepper mix or anything like that. It's right. just, you know, good black pepper. So um, a little bit about mum, about mum Napa itself. They have been started in California in the late 70s, which is kind of when Napa blew up. They've been making wine in Napa since, I think, the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Did you find that in your, an exact date in your notes? Of, of uh, kind of when they started making wine in Napa? Well, you know, these guys that I'm going to talk about, the Black Stallion, they arrived in America in 1924. Yeah. And 12 years later, they're planting vines. Wow, so in the, tw- in the 20s? Yeah. So well, they, 12 years later, it'd be 1936. Uh, 12, okay, so that was after Prohibition. Yeah. But, you know, they so like Behringer and I think it's Inglehook, Inglenook, are some of the older, are some of the oldest ones out in the valley. And they were actually out there before Prohibition started. Okay. And they were actually growing a lot of Italian varietal okay. out there. So, yeah. you know, Sangiovese and Nebbiolo and those type of grapes. And then, you know, the wonderful idea of Prohibition came along mm-hmm. and, you know, stopped almost all wine production, mm-hmm. you know, across the country, but especially in California in those areas. You know, you can make a small percentage for your home. And then there were a few people who got licenses to make it for religious purposes. Um, one mm. of those is actually San Antonio Vineyards, which is down in um, the L.A., down more in the south central area of California. But then after Prohibition was lifted, you know, people started, I guess, kind of like your guys, planning in. But then the next big renaissance was in the 60s and the 70s. 70s, right. We have all this money in California. And now people are trying to make, go out there and be cavalier and make good wine. Yeah, it's like a wine rush. Yeah. I suppose the gold rush in the 1800s is yeah. a wine rush. And then there was the Judgment of Paris. Okay. Like we, can't, we, can't, we can't talk about Napa without talking about the Judgment of Paris and that competition that put Napa Valley on the map. Have you ever, have you, you've, no, I haven't. Okay, so. Yeah. The judgment of you know, go ahead and snack along. Don't I wait. Don't, don't wait, wait for go me. Go ahead. So the judgment of Paris is there's a guy named Stephen Spurrier who owns a small little wine shop in Paris, and he is trying to bring notice to his wine shop and his wine school, and he and a friend from the time decide, well, let's you know, there's these good wines coming from California. Let's market this a little bit and let's bring wines from California and put them against French wine and like top, top French wines. Uh Totally not expecting to win at all. So they do this and the guy, like, it wasn't even reported by any French newspapers. Oh, yeah. It was only reported by this one guy. From the from Time Magazine, from Time Life Magazine, and he was only there because it was his friend that was doing it. He's like, "Well, I'll I'll check this out." Mm-hmm. So we get to the we get to the Judgment of Paris wine, and the competition was in 1976. 
Oh, that's pretty recent. Yeah. So, it, like All I said. All things considered. Yeah. So, the wines that were competed, that were in the competition, was the Stag's Leap Wine Cellars, 1973, the Ridge Montebello, the Heights Martha's Vineyard from 1970, Clodeval, mm-hmm. 1972, mm-hmm. Maya Camus Vineyards, um, mm-hmm. and the Fremark Abbey. Those are the, those are the red wines. Okay. And they were going up against Mouton Rothschild, Chateau Monterose, Chateau Haubriand, and Chateau Léovain Loclasse. So we're talking like premier or first crew and second or first growth and second growth Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the whites are for California, Chateau Montalena. These are all Chardonnays. Uh, Chateau Montalena, Chloéon Vineyard, Spring Mountain, Fremark Abbey, uh, Vitor Crest Vineyards, and David Bruce Winery. And these are mm-hmm. going up against like top. Burgundy producers. Oh yeah, like we're talking. Merce- we're talking wines from Merceau, Joseph Gluens, um, the best in the Bone world. Clo- yeah, like Botar Montrachet, Poligny Montrachet, like these top top wines. Mm-hmm. And so nobody is expecting. Nobody's expecting this. To no, win. America couldn't they beat could, us. There's no, there's no oh, way no. these you know hippies in California can make better wine than us. No way. We've been doing it for centuries. They've been doing it for days, basically. Yeah. And in both categories, Mm-mm. the top wine was a California wine. Mm. The top Chardonnay was the Chateau Montalena Chardonnay. And the top red wine was the Stag Leap Wine Cellars Cabernet. Oh, my goodness. And so it, like, goes insane. They're devastated. They are absolutely devastated. They thought it was fixed. They're, they could not believe that this happened. And like we said, there was a, there was a reporter there. Yeah. So he writes all about it, and oh, then yeah. California wine just explodes at this point. 1976. Yeah, okay. 1976. So you were, in, mm-hmm. you were out of college at that point? Yeah. So Almost. Where were you guys? Oh, you were? We got married in 77. Okay, so I graduated in seventy six. Seventy six. So you may have been in Kansas City when this happened. Yeah, working already. Right. And I really wasn't into wine, so yeah. But I it, didn't know that happened. It was just a crazy, you know, a crazy story. And now Napa is some of the most expensive wine per acre. It's over a million dollars an acre. Yeah, we talked about this before. There. I wish we had a well. One acre wouldn't do you any good. No. But, you know, there's just a lot going on out there. So I tried the brie. Uh-huh. So that brie has a little bitter, kind of bitterness to it. Mm-hmm. Which, that funky bitter that brie has. Yeah. It's, it, like, helps accentuate this wine and the sweetness and the bitter. So we got this contrast thing going on. Mm-hmm. That's a really good pairing, Josh. The, you know, the bitterness and the sweetness. Uh, there wasn't. I didn't really get any new flavors, if you would. Mm-hmm. Really good pairing. Really good. How, did you just try it? Yeah, I'm. I'm just getting into the cheese right now. Okay. So tell us a little bit about. I know you're probably going to tell more when it's your wine, um, but just so I can catch up on the pairing. Tell us a little bit about when you and mom went to Napa. Oh, well, there's a story there. Okay. What year were you born, Josh? 1986, November. 80s, 86. November of 86. Joanne 
work at a travel agency. And Delta Airlines was opening a new route to Germany. Mm. So they had this special party. And you remember Linda Friedel? Uh-huh. Yeah. So Linda and Doug had just recently gotten a new refrigerator. Well, back then, a new refrigerator came in this big carton. And so Joanne was telling Linda, oh, there's going to be this German Fest party. And the winner of that German Fest party gets tickets to anywhere in the world. Wow. Through Delta, primarily to go to Germany because that was their new line. Right. So Linda helped Joanne stencil that huge refrigerator box mm-hmm. to make it look like a beer stein. Oh, okay. So your dad was inside that box. <laughs> And they'd taken a, like a clothes, it wasn't a hamper, but it was like where you put your clothes and just kind of, it was kind of a basket thing. Well, put that on top of the carton, made it look like the Stein cap (laughs) and made, and made a handle. Well, Joanne had a brown leotard and they made a pretzel. They made a pretzel (laughs) out of cardboard and rock salt. Nice. So the two of us, that's us. Mm -hmm. The other four that worked at this travel agency just went out and got German costumes. Okay. We did not win first prize. Oh. But we won a prize that said we could fly anywhere in the United States. Oh. And so that's when we went to San Francisco and went on our trip to Napa, 1986. Okay. Yeah. So, what, you know, I don't know how many of the listeners have been to San Francisco and then gone to Napa, but in San Francisco Bay, you've got that cold water of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, yeah. And so we got over there, and we were freezing to death. Because <laughs> you've got that cold Pacific water in the bay, mm-hmm. and we had to go out and buy sweatshirts. Yeah. Well, then you get over to Napa, and it's 90-something degrees. Yeah, in the afternoons. In the afternoon. The only one I could remember, I already mentioned the only wine that we tasted. We probably only tasted, I don't know, maybe four or five, because I was driving. Okay. And Joanne really wasn't drinking. Right. Because she was pregnant. Mm. So I might have accidentally drank her pour and my pour. <laughs> but we had a really good time. Yeah. But that's been a long time ago. And you guys, we haven't gone back. Okay. I thought, for some reason, I thought you guys have gone more recently. No. To my knowledge. Now, Joanne <laughs> may correct me when we publish this podcast, but <laughs> I don't think so. So what do you think of that uh, brie? It's really good. That funky, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. funkiness adds to, adds to the wine. It just kind of elevates it and opens it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And same with the the herbiness that's in the cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another good pairing. Yeah. It's like every week it's going to be, I'm going to have to struggle. What's the best <laughs> pairing? Well, now, have you had just the duck skin? I haven't yet. You got to have just the duck skin. So this duck, really interesting way that this duck was prepared. I've never actually cooked duck this way. The way the recipe said, 
was you take boiling water after mm-hmm. you've kind of like pricked the skin a little bit and you pour it over the duck. Mm. So the skin will kind of tighten up. Yeah. And then you salt and pepper it, roast it mm-hmm. at 425 for 45 minutes, and then you flip it. You're on a rack and you flip it over for another 45 minutes and then you flip it again so it finishes breast side up for 45 minutes and this skin is so crispy it is the fat has been rendered out beautifully from the duck it's so it's not peking duck but it's about as close as you probably get it's so unctuous and earthy and now if you if you only like your duck medium rare don't cook it this way because the duck the duck at this point is it's done. It's mm-hmm. well done at this point, which for some people, you know, they say it would be blasphemy. But that unctuousness and that it's almost like it's fried. That skin is just fried mm. and crispy. Not quite, but yeah. It uh I mean the acid of the wine loves that fat. Mm-hmm. That's with the duck. And the <laughs> the unctuousness adds to the wine. And some earthiness kind of coming out on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the cherry and the lemon go with the, the, the gamey meat of the duck. I already know what my favorite pairing is. <laughs> I say this all the time. Duck and ro- sparkling rosés are like a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I'm very happy right now. You're going to have to eat? <laughs> so, so I'm very happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like I said, Mum Napa started, they started looking for ground in the 70s, and they made their, they actually sold their first bottle in 1983. Oh, Um, And then, so this was kind of that time after, you know, after the Judgment of Paris, where now these French, these French owners and winemakers are looking and saying, oh, well, if these guys who don't have this knowledge that we have can make this kind of wine, I wonder what we could do. Even like the Rothschilds, so have have land out there, and that's actually how they got Opus One. Was Baron Rothschild partnered with somebody in, in Napa to make Opus One? Yeah, and Opus in the liquor store runs three or four hundred dollars a bottle. It's built in more of that Bordeaux style, but done in California. And it's when it's when it's good, it's it's good. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit about mine. You have any other questions or? Well, I hadn't eaten enough of the duck yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's not going. It's not going to fly away. Well, how'd you uh, decide to do this pairing? I mean, you you were telling me how you acquired the duck. So, I've had duck. Like like I said, duck is one of my favorite pairings with any good sparkling rosé. Because it has that body. So, like, I've done, I've done duck breast, and usually I do, like, sous vide duck breast and a sparkling, a sparkling rosé. I've probably done it 10, 15 times before, mm. um, personally. And, like, I've, I've even done it, did I do it with, no, we had regular champagne that night. But I've also had it, like, with some, like, Cheaters ramen, or, you know, Cheaters, I call it Cheaters duck ramen because we don't make the stock. But I'm happy because now I have a duck carcass. I can make duck stock. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm going to make duck stock and we'll probably do duck ramen. It's really, it's really good. I mean, 
anyway, that's 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 for a whole nother thing. But so that's the you know that's why I've done it because that unction that you know the the wine has enough body because of the method in which it's made and being a rosé that will stand up to the duck and it's got enough acid and to go with the fat that's in duck. Mm-hmm. It's something that that I've it done before. That really I love, well, I love you know. I really wish I could have found uh, at the store I went to blood oranges because I think blood orange. Um, just like some blood orange segment with that mozzarella and pepper would be a really good dish. Probably would have to go with um, something like this. So you didn't, when, you couldn't find any. Well, not at the the one store I went to before. Oh, okay. I was running late. Yeah. So, what is something that when you drink this that you want to eat? Like, just thinking about it, like. What's something that maybe that you would want to pair with this that I didn't throw on the plate? You know, a good uh, linguine pasta. Okay. With that cheese, yeah. yeah, with that cheese and the and the pasta itself, uh, that would go well. You know, uh, it's not a big steak thing, but as far as meat, I mean, this duck is probably the best one. That's got to be like the best choice, meat wise. Yeah, I mean, duck, chicken. Now, seafood. Yeah. This would go really well with seafood, too. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. I think, you know, it could hold up even all the way up to a salmon, maybe even a tuna. Yeah. Uh, tuna might be a stretch. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for our, excuse me, let me finish this bite. For our listeners who are more, you know, vegetable inclined than I am, I think this wine is extremely vegetable friendly. I agree. I think if you had some like roasted Brussels sprouts or like grilled asparagus mm-hmm. would go really well with this. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even something, I don't know about really like bitter green. So like I would personally, like if I'm thinking about this as a pairing, I would stay away from like kale, arugula, maybe not arugula, but some of those ones that are come across more bitter. Yeah. Like uh, radicchio. But yeah, I think you nailed Those it when you were things. talking about roasted cauliflower yeah. and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is, I think this is also a really grill-friendly wine. Yeah, it would be. Uh, as we're heading into spring and uh, the summer season, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's great to, it could go front to back. Like you said, I'd be a little bit wary if you've got a steak coming. Yeah. I, if you do, I would say have something that's got a lot of fat in it. Right. Um, so maybe like a ribeye or a New York strip with that good little um, strip of fat on the side. Filet, filet might work just because it's not really big and unctuous. Um, but I, I really, you know, I was thinking about this because, you know, you and I, or I, don't eat a whole lot of vegetables. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm more kind of reserved when it comes to that. And I want to be. I want to be conscious of that when I talk about pairing. So I think something I'm going to start doing is if I don't have a vegetable on the plate, start thinking of something or haven't like, like we just did have that conversation. Well, what else well, would you want to pair? Yeah. Did you say asparagus? Cause I think that I would did. Go, yeah, I think, I think, I think grilled, well. grilled or roasted asparagus, mm-hmm. Brussels mm-hmm. sprouts, or just a medley of onion and yeah. zucchini and even a yellow squash that you put on the grill and get it charred. Yeah. I think that would go well. Or like a pasta primavera. 
oh, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. really vegetable driven. I think would go really well with this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anything else before we switch over to oh, your? I'm ready to switch over. Your nice over Cali cab. All right. So, Dad, remind us what what uh, what we're moving to and what your snacks are. It's the Black Stallion uh, Cabby Cab, as Josh calls it. 2017 is the vintage. Uh, Gorgonzola blue cheese with a brisket sandwich and brownie bites. And when I say brownie bite, they're brownies that are put in those little muffin tins that are only like half to three quarter of an inch around. Yeah, they're like little uh, mini muff, mini muff. Yeah, right. Um, so, so for those of you that may not be familiar with gorgonzola, gorgonzola is an Italian uh, blue cheese used widely in Italian, in very widely in Italian cooking. That's right. That's right. All right, I'm gonna stop talking and let you talk. Well, about. it it uh, since you brought that up, it's a spicy, dense, milky blue cheese. A lot of the blue cheeses are are made from cow's milk or any other kind of milk. Well, this is cow's milk. And like Josh said, it's uh, northern Italy. It's it's not as blue as some of the blue cheeses. So it's real friendly as as far as pairing it with different foods. And then the brisket. I got the brisket from a place called Count Porcula. Now, Count Porcula is located, they, ha- they have set up their, their big smoker at a place called the Rail Yard. And they were established in 2008. And Count Porcula, Josh, you've seen their smoker. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, how long is that thing? It's, it's, uh, it's pretty big. 20 feet, maybe even more than that. Yeah, they, I, can, <laughs> they can smoke hundreds of pounds of yeah. meat. Well, I mean, you know, Ricky and I have lost in competi- in local competition to Count Porcula a couple times. Oh, okay. You know, because they when we were doing the whole hog cookoffs with the Argenta butt rubbers, yeah, they were they were competing, and this was before they opened their truck and then the uh, then joining forces and doing the rail yard. I think the rail yard's at twelve twelve. It's over in East Village, Sixth Street. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. on Sixth. So, if you know where Lost 40 is on 6th Street, just keep going east. Yeah. And you'll find it. Right. And so I, I, I picked that because it was convenient. I went down there yesterday. You know, it's a, the rail yard is a great location if you want to go there. And you can be outside or you could be inside. But they're outside. They've got uh, socially distanced tables. And they have some other, typically they have some other food trucks. So it, it's a Great place to go, but Count Porkle is always there. Yeah. And then the Brownie Bites, we just, Joanne made those the other day, and they're quite good. Now, let's see, Josh. I don't think you know this Playboy story. Oh, okay. The Playboy Club in Kansas City. I did not know they had one in Kansas City. Oh, okay. Well, they don't anymore. Back in, you're talking back in the 70s? Back in the 70s when I first went to work for... A company called Black and Beach. I was a, you know, I was a newbie there, and you know, I'm walking around. There's this good-looking woman, and I just happen to notice she's got this necklace, and it's a Playboy necklace. Got the bunny on it. With the bunny on it, yeah. I cannot remember her name, Josh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I told you about Friday at uh, the Bacardi plant. 
Yeah. But I cannot remember this woman's name, and it's a shame. So the reason I'm bringing that into our story today is that the brisket that we make here at home, that Joanne makes, we got the recipe from this Playboy bunny. Okay, so the the oven brisket that mom made. Yeah. With the the ranch, the Lipton right. ranch packet, and right. stuff, which is well, a very, and, very and good more, And more than that, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's the that's the one thing I remember. And yeah. it cooks overnight. Well, that's cool. So let's go ahead and get into this wine a little bit. It is a deep, deep purple. It's a deep purple color. It's a good looking wine. Well, and it's a, it's a reasonably priced wine. Uh, I looked on their website, uh, the Black Stallion website, and I really like the Black Stallion emblem. It's got a Black Stallion that is uh, reared up, and the estate itself got a got a statue of this horse. So if you if you're looking in the liquor store and you and you see a bottle that has a little Black Stallion on the label, you know you found it. Okay. It's um. Uh, like you said, it's it's a great wine. It's um, not very pricey. It's about twenty something. So if you ever were to get it on sale, you know it'd be you know the twenty percent off or whatever. Mm-hmm. The best I can tell, they're getting grapes from around the region, not just at their at their wine. Okay. So they're blending. There's a good story about, and I'll I'll talk about it a little bit later. But there's a good story about about the vintner. This is a 2017. It's a red called a red wine. It's 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 a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's do they, uh, do they pH is 3.7. Do they say what percent cab it is? On the bottle, it only says it's a cab, so I think it's a hundred percent. Well, so. Legally, I, I, can't, I can't see anything else. Legally, they can't. It only has to have seventy-five percent to be able to label this. Yeah, right. As, mm-hmm. uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. So I was just curious if in there, their but notes. it says they it comes from a diverse range of vineyards, each controlling unique influences, resulting in an elegant, expressive wine. Yeah. You know, it's that deep, deep cherry. Plum characteristic, kind of that purple color. Yeah, it's got some of those great. What uh, you getting on the nose? It's got some of those great smells of, you know, those really dark, like purple, blackberry, black, mm-hmm. black, mm-hmm. Um, black currant, black, um, kind of black cherry. A little bit of, with a little bit of spiciness to it. Not really much earth or barn on it. But it has a lot of those like standard California California markers when it comes to the wine itself. It smells good. It's not as like it's not really big and rounded. Um, it's pretty linear. And when I say linear, it's um this is one it's one of those weird things that I do when I taste is I like kind of think about if it's something that like kind of goes around when I smell it, or if it just kind of comes like straight through as a smell, uh-huh. it's kind of what I, what I mean when I say linear. It just kind of it comes at me kind of in a straight line. It doesn't really like fill me up or kind of fully cover 
how I'm smelling or how it's presenting itself to me. So that's that's what I mean when I say it's a linear. Yeah, okay. A and the other thing color. I noticed that uh, 2017, they had a lot of rain. So that might enter into this this taste of this wine. Did Did they say if it was rain around harvest? It didn't say that. You know, that would have been a real concern, right? Yeah, because rain around harvest, you know, will swell the berries and kind of thin out, thin out the wine itself. So that's why I, that's just why I was curious at that point. Well, and back back to their story, I I told a little bit of it. You know, they they came over to America in 1924, and you know, 12 years later, they're they're planting their vineyard, and this town is called Mentaka, M-A-N-T-E-C-A. Mm-hmm. California, Manteca, or Manteca. Uh, they have been in this business, so there's grandchildren, great grandchildren, mm-hmm. who have followed in the line of of this company, of cool. this distillery. Now the horse connection, yeah, is there's a Silverado Western Center that was in this vicinity, so there was like a Silverado trail. Yeah. So there's actually a road, Mm -hmm. Um, the Mm -hmm. road that's on the Eastern, on the Eastern side of Napa Valley is called the Silverado trail. And that's actually Mum Napa is, is on the Silverado trail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, and uh, you know, like I said, that logo of the, of the horse is really good. So let's see. When we do the pairing, have you have you started? Did you try yeah. some of the cheese? So we'll I, start with the cheese. So I tried the gorgonzola first. Gorgonzola is a lot of blue cheeses aren't really nutty. Gorgonzola is one of those ones that got a good like nutty flavor to it, kind of like a Stilton. But the in the blue, the blueness of it, there is a lot of blue mm-hmm. in the cheese. Yeah, and you guys know I'm not a huge blue cheese fan, but the blue that's in the cheese is not, it's not like a Danish blue. It's not super, super funky and like palate killing. This is like a really nice funkiness that goes on that really complements the nuttiness. And I think it goes well with the wine. Yeah. Because this wine, when you first taste it, is a little thin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not as big and as unctuous as mm-hmm. you would expect for some California Cabernets. But the cheese gives it to the wine. Mm-hmm. It gives it that earthy, nutty body mm-hmm. that the that it's kind of uh, it's not it's one like of those, it's asking for it. Wants it's that. not one of those real jammy wine, right? It has you know the jam in it. It's got the blackberry and the currant and the whatever, but it's just not that right chewy that some wines have that this one doesn't yeah and it's not real tannic this, either the one the well, wine itself some, it's got tannins. It, it's got some tannins but mm-hmm. they're not real like grippy they don't pull real hard at you like like a nebbiolo or like you get in some cabernets right okay so so they harvest and and sort the fruit by hand do they still hand harvest that's what this says wow. I, i'm surprised i really am and the other thing I was surprised about, once the grapes are crushed, 
into their, and they call it micro lots. Now, I don't know what a micro lot would be. So, uh, you finished what you're about to say, and I'll explain a micro lot. Okay. They can be fermented in small tanks. Now, these tanks, I, I can't tell how big they are, but it could be a concrete tank, a steel tank, or even a wooden tank. They've got a lot of money. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, when I read this first and I said concrete tank, I'm going, oh, man, don't do that. Actually. That doesn't sound right. Actually, a lot of a lot of people ferment in concrete. Concrete eggs or concrete cubes, it's actually a more common practice than you think. Okay, see, I, I learned something. I, I did not know that. Because it, because it, at that point it doesn't impart any flavor, and concrete is a heat sink, so it it doesn't. The, if you have temperature shifts, okay, it doesn't, it, it doesn't affect yeah. it as mm-hmm. much there. Okay. Uh, so a micro lot. So in talking about Napa itself, Napa, the valley floor of Napa is not level. It's more of kind of like these. Um, they call them benches mm-hmm. in, in um, geological terms or geographical terms. Yeah, I know what uh, that is. But so they're kind of like rolled down and have these different areas. And because of that, there are microclimates within each vineyard. So where the vineyard is, how long the sun hits it, where it is, and its specific elevation in that rolling kind of undulated valley floor, that creates little microclimates. So what they're saying, there is they take these lots or these areas of the vineyards and they kind of spread them out by microclimate. So you may have, you know, these 10 rows are harvested 10, they may be harvested a day or three or four, even more days different than the next 10 rows because the climate is so Mm, different there. mm -hmm. You know, when that fog that we talked about burns off, it's specific elevation. Like all those things go into making a little microclimate. And so they, they look at that and they are breaking, they're separating each of those out mm-hmm. and fermenting those separate where some other people will take the entire thing, crush it and ferment it together. Because, either because they're right. stylistically, that's how they're choosing to do it, or they feel the differences aren't that aren't that big because they'll they'll like harvest the whole vineyard area and say they'll kind of hit it on the middle so they may have some that are underripe some that are a little bit overripe but a majority of them hit that middle they're saying they they kind of take those and and parse it out to get those little those little peaks of perfection based on the microclimate okay which dovetails into the what the winemaker does Mm -hmm. and his name is ralph Holden Rinden, Holden Rinden, H O L D E N R I E D, and his team. Hmm? And he blends and mixes, and he may do dozens, that's what this says, of trial blends before he gets the final one that he wants. Because there's no specific recipe that he's following. So he's blending and tasting and blending and tasting. What a terrible job. I know. God. You know, if I could go back and do it all again, I would probably go 
to school to be a winemaker. But yeah, so they're they're really just taking those those specific lots and finding that style and making you know, figuring out when things are ready and how what blends best with each other to make a, a specific house style to get that final cuvee. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always the same to create a seamless, harmonious wine. Yeah, because you know with vintage differences and and that and when you're coming from a lot of different places. So since this is just labeled Napa Valley, that means it, it comes from anywhere with it that's in the that's Napa right. Valley. Yeah. So it could be high elevation, could be low elevation, could be cooler or warmer. You know, it could be anywhere along the bench. Speaking of the bench and everything, when I was doing the research on this, you know, there are, we need to have your brother Paul on mm-hmm. for this conversation. You know, Paul the Paul the geologist. There are twelve different major soil types that exist on earth major soil type on earth on earth and oh man six of the major soil types are found in the napa valley oh why yeah so because so because part of the napa valley in its history it was part of the pacific floor ocean floor for a little bit okay okay there has been volcanoes there's been erosion now there are mountains so so there's just all these different soil types so even some of those micro lots, they will they will vary on soil type, mm. and soil type will affect drainage and mm-hmm. and minerality mm-hmm. within the wine. So, yeah, you know, it'd be I think it'd be really interesting to talk to Paul about that. I don't yeah, know I don't know how much he would know about no, how it affects either. within wine, but here just to hear some. So my dad's brother Paul is a geolo- He's a geologist, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So he has that, you know, understanding of rock and soil. Right. And I think it'd be really fascinating to sit down and talk with him. And maybe not like how it affects wine or growth in agriculture, just to understand what's in the soil. Because right. when we, we talked about this in Bordeaux a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. mine, the Lalande Pomerol, being right around that red clay of Pomerol and how that, really affects the wine and also we've talked to we talked a little bit about how it can really affect white wines but i think it'd be cool to sit maybe sit down with him and you know talk yeah, about we'll talk about yeah. dirt and rocks so have you tried the count porkless sandwich? i have and, and the pepper of the brisket mm-hmm. is amazing with this wine like you know because well, they're about the sweetness of that brisket Get some I don't. I don't get sweet in the brisket. I also barbecue pet peeve number one: mm. slaw on sandwiches. I am so anti. Not just because I'm anti slaw in general. You Which should you not, are. I am, but I honestly believe you should not put slaw on any barbecue sandwich. I think it's sacrilege. I don't think it's good practice. And they put a red cabbage slaw, red cabbage and carrot slaw mm-hmm. on this. So I think that's where you're getting the sweetness from. Could be. It's from the red cabbage and the carrot. Could be. Because the brisket, that earthy, meaty, peppery, and the spiciness, the little bit of spiciness from the sauce. Sauce. Wow. I've been listening to The Godfather. (laughs) (laughs) That's been the book I've been listening to right now, but so I'm dropping into my accent a little bit. Um, But the sauce, I think, 
works quite well with the wine. I think a spicier sauce would not work well because it would accentuate the alcohol mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. much. What's the alcohol in this, by the way? I'm not sure. It's on the back label. It may be on the front. I don't see it anywhere, Josh. Let me look. I think it's probably it has about 14, be. wouldn't you? By law, it has to be on here. I, I do. I think it's around the 14%. It is 14.5 by volume. Oh, okay. It's way, it's way down here. Oh, okay. In tiny, little bitty print? In little bitty print. Oh, okay. On, it's that's why I didn't a see A dark gray on a black label. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, th- I think it works really well. And, you know, I think this is a good, like, entry this would be a good entry into Cali, uh, into Napa Valley Cabernet because price point was, what'd you say in the twenties? Uh, less than 30. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's easy to buy. You can step into it and you can start to understand what you're going to find in some of those higher end ones. The higher end ones are going to have a little, a lot more of that barn, that earth, that body, um, that this one is kind of lacking in. So they have a 2017, Barrel Reserve cab. They also have ninety eight dollars a bottle. They also have a Mount Veter bottle. When I was looking on their site, which Mount Veter is a specific AVA mm-hmm. of Napa Valley. That's a, that's all where some of those some of the higher end stuff comes from. And they have one called the Atlas Peak. That's another. That's that, another AVA. Right in. I mean, they've got, they've got and stuff. And it's $80. I mean, this is good wine. They've got one. It's called Transcendent Cabernet. Oh, I'm looking at it too, right? And it's here. $150 a bottle. So I struggle with comparing. Maybe that's, maybe that's something we ought to do someday is just buy the $30 bottle and the $120 bottle or $50 I'm, or whatever. I'm call, I, I, buy, I buy the $30. You can buy the, you can buy the expensive one. I knew that would happen, but... <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to see that much difference in in the taste. So, to to compare that it's five times more expensive. So, there are things about it. I, you know what? I agree with you. I think we should do that. I think we should do that on a podcast because there are there are things that, as a wine professional, as a, a former wine professional. No, we're both professionals. As wine professionals. Somebody, so I've tasted all of those wines that we talked about at the beginning, those really high-end, well-known mm-hmm. California Cabernets. I've, I've actually been able to taste all of them. Mm-hmm. And there is, if you were to put them side by side and blind it, mm-hmm. you could tell which one was the more expensive just by the taste. Really? Yeah. That is one thing. Now, the price that you pay may not be exactly worth the wine in the bottle. Right. Because you're paying a lot for the name, right? Um, especially in certain places. Mm-hmm. But it, if you were to put, I, I honestly could say this: if you were to put a thirty dollar Napa Cabernet like this one next to even like Alpha Omega, like or, Alpha Omega Two, which is in the sixty dollar range, yeah, you could tell a difference. You could definitely tell a difference on the palate. You might even be able to tell a difference on the nose. What about Silver Oaks? It's a Napa Valley. So I, I, you could definitely tell the difference in Silver yeah. Oak in this. Like, I could find it that fast. Okay. I've had Silver Oaks, and it's very good. It's very you know, good, and it is very different than this. Mm-hmm. Now, the fruit structure is, very, is similar because the grapes are similar. Right. I, 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 you could, 
You could tell the difference between between them in a heartbeat. I believe you could tell the difference between Silver Oak and Opus. Okay. And at this point, we're talking eighty dollars to three hundred dollars, right? Um, in the bottle. There are certain places in the world where I don't think that is true. Okay. But Napa Valley is. I honestly believe Napa Valley is one that you can find that difference very easily. What about Beaujolais? Beaujolais as a so the crew Beaujolais. Right. Now we're not talking. I mean, Nouveau you can Mm-mm. sneak out in a heartbeat. Mm-mm. But Cru Beaujolais is going to be very similar in price. Yeah. Uh, you may, depending on the producer in the region, you may find maybe $20, maybe maybe $30 difference in price. Not you're getting much. some high, like, I mean, that's $60 for a Beaujolais. So that's, yeah. I mean, you're talking a really, really like super small production, mm-hmm. small, you know, small get. But I, I, I don't think you could. I don't think you could find that that difference in a region like that. Right. But Napa Valley in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. you can find that difference. Right. Like these wines, like a lot of these regions that have super stellar wines, I think you can taste. You can taste the difference in a lower priced wine than a higher priced wine. Okay. If you kind of know what you're looking for. And I, th- I think you've had. I think you have to have some of those higher wines before knowing what you're tasting, right? I would. And experiencing it and having that like that memory of it to to blind it. Because if I mean, if you just straight blind it, you may not know. So have you had the brownie bot yet? I have not because I've been talking too much. I've been talking a lot this podcast. I thought I tasted some chocolate in this wine. And as soon as I had the brownie bite, I was sure of it. <laughs> it was there. It was, it was maybe third level, mm-hmm. but it was there. And this brownie drew it out. And, you know, it was so good. Yeah, and the chocolate that's on the wine is more like a raw cacao mm-hmm. uh, flavor. That really, like, bitter, chocolatey, chocolatey bite. Uh, but this... You know, like it, like you said, kind of pulls it out, pulls it to the fore, pulls it to the forefront of your what you're tasting. It's almost like you had like a a raspberry sauce mm-hmm. that didn't quite have enough sugar in it, right? That you poured over this brownie. You know, I thought about doing that. We have some blueberry sauce that I was started to put out on the plate, but I I decided no, let's let's not mix too many flavors. Yeah, I don't think blueberry would work. No, I didn't either. We didn't have any raspberries. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, you got any questions for me? No, I don't. I'm good. Well, let's go to best pl- blessed uh, plate. Well, so I think something we could say about this plate, as kind of like we talked about with my plate, something I, would, I want with this wine that's not on this plate. Is what? Is, I mean, I would take a steak. Well, in my research, <laughs> that is exactly what came up. Steak or spare ribs? It came up. Braised spare ribs. Braised spare ribs would be good. Or short Now, when I ate this cheese, boom, my head said, wouldn't a great steak with this gorgonzola and this wine be fabulous? 
It would be really, really good. You know, I like blue cheese and, and a good steak sometimes. Right. We don't do it that often. Right. But it would have worked so well with this wine. Yeah. I also think, like, this would really go well with mushroom. Like, a good, like, mushroom ragu or... You know, even if like you're a vegetarian and you make like a mushroom burger, like you take a mm-hmm. big portobello. That came up and, like, on my that came up on my research, Josh. I think that a would big be portobello. I think that would be I think that would be really good. I was gonna do it, listeners, but I knew Josh would just turn his nose up. I would have tried it. Right. But that earthiness and that's kinda you know what we're talking about. I think this wine, you know, wants earthiness it does. to it. I don't know how well it would do with fat. So I would say if you're going to do a steak with this, I would not really do a ribeye because um, it just doesn't have enough tannin to it. I think okay. a good fillet with this, I think a fillet would go really, really well with this since mm-hmm. you know there's not a whole lot of fat, but you still have that good beefy flavor. Mm-hmm. Or even like fajitas. Mm-hmm. Like this would be a great fajita wine. Oh, it would be. And so I, w- I would, s- so you eat a lot of tuna. What would you say about like a seared tuna with I this? I think it'd go well with it. You know, that the Asian seared tuna. It'd go better with my wine than yours. Okay, yeah. So, uh, best on the plate is the gorgonzola. You think so? I, yes. The, that nuttiness and the funkiness from the gorgonzola goes so well with this wine because the wine is lacking in that area yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, so, it just elevates that and then brings that that fruity light uh, kind of brightness to the gorgonzola because gorgonzola is a little heavy. I think to me, that was the pairing of your plate. What about you? I'm going to go with you on it. I I thought when I did the plate, it was going to be the brisket. Now I'm not saying the brisket is not good, I, but I do agree with you about the, the purple cabbage slaw, slaw on top yeah, of it. it. But yeah, that, that blue cheese. Oh, was, you know, was, if you'll notice, great. if you'll notice, listeners, when we do blue cheese, we tend, <laughs> we tend to love it. Yeah. So, let's see, on your plate. Duck. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> hands, hands down. Hands down, duck. Now, are we talking the duck meat or the duck skin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but if I had to pick the duck skin because of that fat, yeah, because of that, because the duck skin is where that fat is held. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, just it's the it's the duck. No, there's there's no competition. Well, it's two for two. Yeah, I'm going with the duck as well. That's. I'm glad you found some. Oh, me too, man. Uh, and I almost didn't buy it because I was like, I don't need a whole duck for the podcast. But I'm like, no. The deal was. Fine duck, buy duck. That's what and you so, said. So I've got duck, but now I've got and I've got a whole lot of duck meat that I can use in the carcass. I'm a, I am going to make duck stock. You're gonna I, make duck what? I'm gonna make duck stock. Oh yeah. Since I've got a whole carcass, I'm not sure. Yeah, I I've made for my friend Jordan's birthday a couple of years ago. Um, I did duck stock, and I made duck ramen. Okay. With duck stock rather than like a pork or a chicken mm-hmm. stock. And it was just, it was out of this world. It was, it was so good. That was the night I blew up the bottle of champagne. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can talk, we can talk about that at a different time. Um, I well, think. Well, I think a Chateau de Pop would go well with uh, that. A Chateau de Pop would go well with, with the duck. Uh-huh. 
you know, any kind of lighter style, um, Pinot Noir would go well with this. I don't know, uh, white wine. I would want something that's got a lot of racy acidity to it. Right. I mean, so you could do a good dry Riesling. I wouldn't put Gehertzwiener with this because it's, Gehertzwiener can be oily and really kind of unctuous. But Savion, like a good Sancerre. Yeah. Or a Muscat, I think would be good with this duck as well. All right. You about ready for a blonde? You know, I think I am. So let's, uh, let's get it going. All right. All right. So once again, I am using a kind of a verbal tasting grid that is based off the Quartermaster Sommelier's. That was developed by a former boss, Tim Derrickson, who is currently at uh, Domain Serene out in Oregon. So here we go. This wine is a red wine. There is no evidence of gas or sediment. It is clear. I can actually see my tasting grid on my phone through it. Mm. It is a light, a light red, or kind of a rubyish color going out to a watery meniscus. There's no evidence of bricking or oranging on the uh, meniscus of the wine. And uh, this is coming in a clean glass. So the legs, I can't really see anything when it comes to the leg. I don't either. Oh, there they are. They're, I would say, kind of medium. So it's going to be kind of a medium alcohol. And let's, uh, I'm not seeing any uh, discoloration of the leg, so there's no real staining uh, going on. So let's, uh, let's give it a taste. Or a smell. Sorry, a smell. This is a clean wine. No real evidence of faults on it. Oh, man, of course, it's allergy season. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My nose is a little stuffed. Oh. So we're looking at red fruits. We're looking at uh, kind of some, I'll get some cranberry, some ras- uh, raspberry and strawberry and tart cherry. There's a little bit of, um, a little bit of like grassy notes under there. A little bit of uh, fresh, fresh flower. Like some violets going on there. Um, not really getting a whole lot of earth. Yeah, there's not really getting a whole lot of earth. Definitely fruit forward in this wine. Maybe a little bit of stony minerality. Um, there's a little bit of evidence of some oak usage. A little bit of very, very light baking spice. So I'm going to go ahead and give this a taste and see what it tastes like. Ooh. Acid is medium plus. Tannins are medium plus. Alcohol is kind of medium. Not really too hot on this wine. Kind of round. In texture, um, but a little light on the palate itself. I mean, I can, woo. Yeah. I'm going to confirm all those red fruits I just talked about. Raspberry, cherry, more strawberry. There's a little bit more like dusty characteristic on this. On the palate, but really like fine, fine dust. Uh, just kind of like, just like it's uh, kind of been kicked around a little bit. Uh, the fruit condition is ripe. It's not really dried. Or anything. Teeth tannins are a little bit higher than I think. I may bump that tannin call up to medium plus. There's a little bit more vegetalness on the taste of this wine than it's on the nose. So getting some like herbaceous, grassy, um, but still with a good floral, good floral note to it. I'm definitely going to go ahead and say there's, there's some good oak usage on this. Getting some of those nice little baking spices and that kind of round feeling. Letting me know that. 
a little bit of like earthiness, but not a whole lot like I've talked about. Yeah. It's like bitter. It's like a bitter herbs. A little bit there too. Uh, but having those baking, there's a little bit of those baking spices, a little bit of like nutmeg or allspice that's in there. It's a dry, it's a, a very dry wine. I agree with that. I like it. Uh, okay. Yeah. I like this wine. It's kind of complex. So complexity is medium, finishes medium-ish. It, it hangs around, but it's pretty thin. That's kind of why I'm calling it like light on the body. So my initial conclusion, I think this is a new world wine from a cooler climate. Uh, possible grapes we're talking about here are Pinot Noir. We could have some, I mean, it could be New World Nebbiolo, but not, I mean, it could be there. It could be New World Sangiovese, could be Grenache. Possible countries this could come from the United States, Chile, or let's say, um, uh, I mean, it could come from. I mean, it could come from Australia, but I doubt it. Um, and this is a probably three to five year old wine. Uh, all right, let me uh, let me get down to it now. Okay, I think this is a new world wine. I think it is Pinot Noir. I think it is from the United States. I think it is from California. I think it is from Sonoma. If it's if it's from Napa, it's from Caneros. Hmm. But I do think it is more Sonoma County being on the lighter bodied side. There's a nice little tannin structure there. Um, and I think it's a good quality. And I think it is 2017. Yeah. Yep. Sonoma, Pinot Noir, 2017. That's my guess. All right. There you have it. And so you'll get to figure out what I was wrong about <laughs> next <laughs> week when you come back and now, wait a minute. Maybe you need to start over, Josh. <laughs> no, it's... What you need to... Nah, to me, that's what, that's what it tastes like. It could be something else, but it's not enough of what I was thinking. Um, okay. There's a few other things. But anyway, you'll, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out together how wrong I am uh, uh, next week when we... Or right. Or right. I mean... You Place know, your you, bet. You never know. I could be right or wrong. But you could uh, come, you know, come back, figure out what we're doing. And, Dad, what are we doing next week for our we're beer week? We're doing Irish beers irish beers because we're going to be recording right around saint patty's day oh yeah what what are I'm you gonna doing? do guinness guinness the the infamous <laughs> the the infamous guinness beer and i'm going to be doing smittix red ale all right yeah so it'll be a it'll be a good time uh, next week uh come join us you know we're 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 getting into our cups here we're kind of getting into a good rhythm We've talked about changing, uh, adding a format, a little format difference. So watch Instagram. We may throw out a question to see what you guys think about changing, changing one or two things about our, kind of our order and how, how often we wait to do cocktail episodes. So kind of be watching that. We'd love to hear back from you. Remember, we are at Acquired Tastings on Instagram. That's where we are most active. We are also on Facebook at Acquired Tastings. We are on Twitter at Acquired Tasting. But like I said, we're most active on Instagram. 
I'm super excited. We got a message from our friends over at the Beer Venger podcast this week that they recorded the episode where they tasted the uh, Nighty Night. Yeah, it's going to drop tomorrow. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty excited to uh, to listen to that, and uh, it's great to that we could share with them. Maybe now that you know we're we're all getting close to vaccine, maybe we can do a big something. I don't a, know. a big something together that would that would be maybe we could uh, figure a way to do that. I'm super excited to hear that, and um, we uh, we just thank you guys for listening and coming in, and we hope to see you next week. That was 99, lost 40. Yep. And so once again, I'm Josh Mills, and I'm John Mills, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, and goodbye.